Good morning. I'm Brett McGarry. Here's Greg Mackling. Welcome yeah. back, Greg Mackling. Great to be back. Thank you to Brittany Greenslade for sliding in on Friday morning unexpectedly. Yep. No, I did not have the flu. I know at least one <laughs> listener was, oh, G-Mac opened his mouth about not calling in sick for about 10 years and then got sick. Yeah, I wasn't <laughs> sick. Um, I got rear-ended on Thursday on Chief Pegasus Trail. Uh, heading to pick up one of the boys from school and sitting at a red light, minding my own business and got plowed into from behind. So you were, in a, were you in a turning lane? I was in a turning lane. Yes. Wow. Yeah. It was um, eerily reminiscent of the accident I was in about 18 years ago in Calgary. So anyway, uh, glad to be back. If I start speaking gibberish, you'll know why. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Just keep an eye open for that, okay? okay? I know I have a tendency, you might have a hard time deciphering that because I tend to do that from time to time regardless, but, you know, if I really go off on a tangent... Uh, just pull the plug on my microphone. Now, as far as uh, the lingering effects, you I don't know how much you want to get into this, but uh, lo- you sent me some pictures, and it looked like a rather harrowing experience. Well, so what are you feeling right now? I'm sore as can be, man, uh, especially in my chest, you know, from the seatbelt, I guess, and in my hips and my shoulders, my neck. Uh, man, never felt discomfort and stiffness in my neck like that before. And uh, as you know, I've got some concussion history and frontal lobe brain injury. So I'm just kind of just trying to keep it cool and just keep an eye on the different symptoms that might pop up. But uh, Well, one more question so far, before so we good. let it go. Sure. Uh, because, because there are probably a couple of people who might be listening and wondering, what are you doing here? <laughs> you took one day off? <laughs> I don't know, man. <laughs> what, what can I say? Hey, a big shout out. Uh, I posted something on Facebook on Saturday just because people were wondering where I was on Friday. I'm not really good at keeping secrets. Uh, I wasn't really expecting the outpouring of uh, support and private messages, emails, etc. that I've gotten. And I apologize if I haven't responded to all of them. I just wanted to acknowledge the outpouring of support from extended friends, my Facebook family and everyone uh, that has reached out to me. I appreciate you thinking about me and the tremendous concern. Uh, it's it's very, very heartwarming and quite frankly, a little bit overwhelming. So, But I appreciate it very much. Were you awake yesterday, last night? And if so, uh, how much multitasking did you have to do with your remote control? Well, I, I didn't see much football or hockey last night. I was back and forth, but the Vikings game was over you know, by halftime, unfortunately. And the Jets, I did see the one goal that they managed to score last night, but I missed the second and third period. Saw the highlights. Connor Hellebuck with one hell of a save. He went out and charged one of the Vancouver Canuck forwards on on a breakaway. Reminded me, that's how I used to tend goal, very aggressively in soccer and in hockey. I was very impressed. The Jets managed exactly two goals in regulation time over the weekend and managed to come away with two victories. Not often that happens. Usually if you're snake bitten and can only score a goal a game, you're looking at a couple of losses. In fact, that's four games in a row now. If my math is correct, that the Jets have only managed one goal, two losses uh, in their two games last weekend on uh, Friday and Saturday night against Chicago and Minnesota. And then now this weekend, two games where they only score one goal, but managed to get two victories. So uh, the Jets back in first place in the Central. Good on them. And the Blue Bombers 
signing Darian Durant, the former Saskatchewan Rough Rider, uh, most uh, recently with the Montreal Alouettes. I know we intend to speak with him tonight, the Blue Bomber uh, winter special, 7 till 9 with Bob Irving and a, and a variety of other uh, special guests for two hours tonight talking the Blue Bombers. Yeah, it's a good day for sports. It was a busy weekend for sports as well. And just as far as the the Jets are concerned, in case you've managed to lose track, the Jets once again back, as Greg mentioned, first place in their division. Uh, they, they managed to leapfrog Nashville by a point. And then in the conference, they are in second place, three points behind Vegas, which st- <laughs> stuns me. Yeah, it's crazy. That, uh, an Vegas expansion. is in first place in overall. In the league! Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> that is... I, I, if you... If, I can't think of an instance where an expansion team has come even close to doing oh, no. that well. No, no. Off the, the top of my head. I'm sure that there's historically somewhere. No, 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 because typically it's engineered so that these new teams don't succeed at first. It's kind of like a, it's kind of like a scolding or like, you must be an infant first and we will keep <laughs> you down for a while. Uh, the system is typically geared to uh, ensure that these these franchises suffer and are bad for a while, but the National Hockey League charged the Las Vegas franchise $500 million to come in the league. Oh boy. And part of that negotiation, I suspect, was that the expansion draft rules would be slightly different for them than they had been at any other point in time. And you're seeing the fruits of that labor. A Manitoban, a big part of that, Kelly McCrimmon, the former general manager of the Brandon Wheat Kings, the assistant general manager of the Vegas Golden Knights, very much responsible or playing a large part in the players that the, the Knights eventually selected in the expansion draft. Great to have you aboard. Thanks for making us a part of your day. I'm Greg Mackling. He's Brett McGarry. Some Canadian provinces have put restrictions on what can be sold in grocery stores, and the move has prompted the Australian government to file a complaint at the World Trade Organization, the first ever Australia has brought against Canada. Global National's Robin Gill reports. At this grocery store, only BC wine can be sold. If anyone wants vino from anywhere else, they'll have to go to a regular liquor store. Well, Australia has uncorked a wine war, claiming the province is breaking the rules. But the wine industry says it's a bogus battle. Australia's got a significant uh, footprint here in in, in Canada. One of every uh, seven bottles of wine sold in uh, Canada comes from Australia. It's sour grapes because Canada didn't sign the Trans-Pacific Partnership trade deal, which would have removed tariffs from Australian wine coming to Canada. The federal trade minister, whose name happens to be Francois-Philippe Champagne is ready for a fight. I'll be there to defend our industry and I've already said so to my Australian counterpart. This is the first trade war between Canada and Australia and the folks down under have an ally in the United States. In its fight with Ottawa over NAFTA, it's making the same complaint on behalf of the California wine industry. It has a case that has been advanced by other countries. Lawyer Tom Hakemi believes Australia may have a strong case. There was a time maybe where those discriminatory practices were justifiable because the Canadian wine uh, industry was just starting up. Uh, But some of those complaints at least take the position that that time is now passed. 
Australia is the fourth largest exporter of wine, with 420,000 acres in wine country. Canada is low on that food chain, with just 26,000 acres. Poor little Canada, I'll tell you, and especially here in BC, we don't export or have much to export anyway, so uh, it's, it, it's a tough uphill battle for us. So it's not quite the fair fight, but it'll be up to Ottawa to take this one on. Global National's Robin Gill on this story. I believe I heard her say one in seven bottles of wine in Canada are Australian. I heard that also. Australia always has been very popular with wine drinkers in Canada. Uh, you know, uh, the Aussies are usually pretty laid back, yeah. but they're, 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 they're peeved about this one. Yeah, it is an interesting thing for them to, to pick a fight about. Um, now, the as far as the Australian wine goes, just as a, a quick aside, once upon a time I found, are you familiar with the, uh, I can't remember the, the name of the actual winery, but it's uh, the Bin 555. I think it's Lindemann's. Uh, and Jerry is, is nodding his head as well. I think it's Lindemann's bin. They've got the different bins, 444, well, 555. Yeah. Lindemann's bin is a label, I, I think, think it's, right? Well, it's either Wyndham or, or Lindemann's. Wyndham. Okay. Yeah. Wyndham has 555 and Lindham has 55. There we yeah. go. Wyndham. So once upon a time, so I usually get the the, the, the five, triple five Shiraz. Okay. Once upon a time, I stumbled upon a bottle of triple five sparkling Shiraz. Mm. Only one time. Like seven years ago, maybe eight years ago. You enjoyed it and you can't find it again. Yeah, I think it was just a very limited, maybe it was a mistake that the, because champagne was discovered by accident too, right? So maybe they, or maybe they made this bin by mistake. Whoops, it's sparkling. So let's, uh, let's cork it and away we go. I had a bottle of that once too. Did you really? I did. What'd you think of it? I liked it. It was a bit sweet. Yeah. But I liked it. Well, you know, I've always thought that at the airport here at different stores, they should have the best of Winnipeg cooler, right? With the uh, Genie's Cakes and the Winnipeg Gold Country Sausage, Winnipeg Cream Cheese when the co-op was making it. There's probably a whole list of things that you could make. Is Regina going to take us to the WTA and say, hey, you got to sell good stuff from Regina? (laughs) If you're listening, Regina, you don't have any be? good stuff. Yeah. They don't have any good stuff to sell. <laughs> That's the rhetoric. <laughs> of course, behind the glass, Jerry is always here with us, even though we're divided by that very thick. Well, is that bulletproof glass? Yes, it is. And is that to protect you or to protect us? Yes. Yes. <laughs> For the second year in a row, hundreds of Winnipeggers don their pink hats grabbed their cardboard signs and hit the pavement on Saturday to show support for their fellow females. The Winnipeg's Winnipeg's Women's March organized and rallied outside of City Hall on Saturday as vocal women, men, and families showed their support for a global movement. This year's event was co-organized by Basha Sokol. Well, today is uh, to celebrate some of the uh, local issues that we need to discuss as women specifically. But uh, why we chose today is because it's a global day of action. And there's women around the world that are marching, walking, uh, and talking today. So that's why we wanted to be a part of that conversation on this day specifically. Missing and murdered Indigenous women, Indigenous issues specifically, access to health care and reproductive rights for women, uh, especially Indigenous women. That's a a big local issue uh, that we're going to be talking about today, Uh, specifically the access to health care in regards to women in the northern and remote communities. You know, a lot of us that live in Winnipeg and Brandon, the bigger urban cities, we have access to a lot of care that women in northern and remote communities don't have the same access to. 
I think the messaging is incredibly important. Last year was a big uncelebration of Trump's inauguration. Today, if we can leave with one person being educated or informed on some of the local issues, that's a huge success. It doesn't matter the numbers, it matters the message. So much has changed, personally, in my opinion. I think that on a daily basis, we are seeing different conversations. We had the Me Too movement that came out, you know, and I think the, uh, the March last year was, you know, that was the spark that started the fire. Uh, women, men, you know, non-binary folks, they're all talking about the women's movement. And I think that's incredibly important. And I think that a lot has changed. Now, we're about to hear another voice. But before we get to that, I just want to give you some context as to what happened on Saturday. So I was here working the news desk on Saturday and our friends, at Glo- we have access to global TV's footage. They upload it into their system and then we can go in and have a peek. So usually what happens is they'll come out of a newscast at three o'clock and I'll go have a look and I saw, okay, Women's March and I hit record and then I walk away. Because they have, who knows, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes of footage. So you're just recording and listening for good quotes. Yeah, like I record it and leave it, and then once it's done, I'll just kind of skim through it and look for the audio. And we get to this one part where Tim Brooke, reported Tim Brooke, is speaking with someone. There's The person doesn't identify themselves, so I figured, oh, well, it doesn't matter. It's just the, you know, the citizen A, citizen B, and citizen C, you know? Sure. So I, I put in my news story, I think in the 4.30 news, this woman says, blah, blah, blah. Well, I went back to the footage, I can't because I was looking for something specific, and I see Clara Hughes, Winnipeg's super legendary athlete, Clara Hughes. So the person I referred to as this woman <laughs> was Clara Hughes, who happened to be in town just uh, on a visit for the week. Well, let's hear from this woman. Why I'm here? I'm here... Probably for many of the same reasons that all these women and men are here today. Um, But really, you know, being in Winnipeg, my hometown, I'm just here for a week and I'm here with my mom and she goes on every single march for women's rights, for rights of Indigenous people. And I'm here just lending a face and a voice and a presence for women in the world um, who have a voice and are able to use it, but especially for those who who are not able to use their voice. Um, it's important that we stand together and stand for the rights of women and um, the voices to be heard and the way of the modus operatus of this world to stop. It's, um, it's time that the, the way it has always been ends. So, yeah. In, in the political <laughs> climate we currently find ourselves in, do you think marches like this and gatherings like this are more important than they were maybe five years ago? Uh, I think that... Gatherings and marches have always been important, and I, I'm to see the here and the now is, is it's it's a really great beginning, and it, it definitely is a reflection of where the world is right now. You know, when you look in the United States, you're looking in Canada, you know, particularly when it comes to the rights or lack thereof for Indigenous peoples. So we have a long, long way to go, and I think that different voices need to be heard. We're still in a place where it is primarily a lot of white people speaking for others and I think that is something that needs to evolve where we see and hear different voices and different stories and um, I personally think that's one of the most important things and where where the world needs to go to let those voices be heard. One of the finest athletes Canada has ever produced. She uh, mentioned it right there, her hometown Winnipeg. Clara Hughes, part of 
just one event across the world here in Winnipeg. Hundreds of events uh, focusing on the empowerment of females and fighting discrimination. Some of the pictures, Brett, uh, from New York, from Los Angeles, from Washington, D.C., the numbers of people involved in this. Absolutely overwhelming, reminiscent of back in the 1980s with the with the peace marches that would go on in, in June around the world. Uh, just overwhelming to see so many people gathered for really a common cause, a common goal to create a common voice. Yeah, and there was at one point as well where I, I believe Donald Trump weighed in on it. Oh, yes. He tweeted that, uh, this is on Saturday, he tweeted that it's a perfect day for women to march to celebrate the unprecedented economic success and wealth creation that's happened during his first year in office. So um, even (laughs) he manages to find a way to spin it back around to make it look like it's uh, a, a that they're cheering for him. A true narcissist always finds a way to make it all about them, don't yeah, they? Indeed. I don't know if you went shopping at all this weekend. Usually we all have to go to at least one store over the course of a weekend. And increasingly, self-checkouts are an option. More than a year after it introduced the concept, Amazon has opened its artificial intelligence-powered Amazon Go store. The store on the bottom floor of the company's Seattle headquarters allows shoppers to scan their with their smartphone the Amazon Go app at a turnstile, pick out the items they want, and then leave. Once you've got everything you want, you can just go. When you leave, our Just Walk Out technology adds up your virtual cart and charges your Amazon account. Your receipt is sent straight to the app, and you can keep going. Amazon Go. No lines, no checkout. No, seriously. <laughs> yeah, all of us are looking at each other. Seriously? Yeah, seriously. By combining computer vision, machine learning algorithms, and sensors, uh, sensors rather, the online retail giant can tell what people have purchased and charges, as you heard, their Amazon account. So if someone puts an item back, they aren't charged. So today we're having coffee talking about how we check out at the grocery store. Do you prefer the human interaction of a cashier or do you prefer a more automated way of paying for your items? So, Shanley Vidal is here, Kelly Moore is here, Jeff Braun, and of course, behind the glass, Jerry. And Kelly, why don't we start with you because you were nodding there. <laughs> and uh, what do you, how do you like to do it? I love the interaction. As a matter of fact, uh, at uh, the store that we shop at, we kind of have our favorite checkout clerk if she's working. And... <sighs> Just the the most friendly, bubbly, outgoing person you will ever meet. And the other day when we were shopping, uh, there was, um, I'm not sure if the, uh, the person was Mexican, but it was Spanish. That was She takes Spanish and was conversing with this gentleman in Spanish. So I talked to her. She says, yeah, she says, I'm in my third year at St. Boniface. You know, we just thought, uh, St. Boniface University, just thought it would be a neat thing to do. And uh, her and her husband loved to travel. And uh, so, you know, she thought having a second language would be great. How can you not support people and keep people like that on their jobs and not let them get uh, replaced by a robot? Yeah. Uh, no, hey, that's great. And I, I always do. I tend to use the self-checkout, and I always enjoy when I actually do find someone to, like, sometimes I will stand in line and wait for a couple of minutes, or I'll walk by, and there will be a cashier just kind of standing there, yeah. and I'll say, oh, well, hello, are you open? Okay. 
please check out my stuff. And I, it's always an, an enjoyable experience. And they always do a better job at packing it than I do anyway. So, <laughs> Shanalee, you're so f- uh, professed antisocial. So are these self-checkouts right up your alley or do you not like them? Well, I mean... I, I would say yes, if I had to stand behind a lineup of Kellys, then then they would definitely be up my alley. <laughs> Are they talking Spanish? Just get your groceries and get out of the store. Pretty much. But, but you know what? It's funny because the grocery store that I shop to is, is, is a Safeway, but it doesn't actually have any of these automated checkouts. It's only like maybe two cashiers open any time. It's not terribly busy. And it's always, they're always actually very nice and friendly. So it's it's never uh, never a terrible experience. But I always find whenever I go to a store with the automated checkouts and you know don't want to deal with humans it ends up being worse because there is always something wrong oh the produce is not not not, the number isn't working or the number is not in the system and and then that the scale that you put something down and then you and then the scale is all messed up so then you have the people waiting in the wings and the lurkers the lurkers at safeway they're pretty good for jumping and i find some other stores, you have to like, hey, hey, come, come here, help me, help me, and you literally have to kind of <laughs> cry for help, and that makes it even more like more embarrassing, you know. So you know, I sometimes so then I guess if I just want to go buy my shameful items like my uh, chocolate bars and my donuts, it's I'll just <laughs> suck it up and go to a cashier. What a complicated life. <laughs> the produce is where you can save some money, by the way, because I've eaten much fancier apples than I've paid for in times past. Just prepare to just play dumb if they come and try and catch me. Oh, really? Oh, different no, kind of apples? Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. Don't you have to be sort of unscrupulous there and know yeah. the code of the less expensive uh, apple? The one I was at just like pick the type of apple you bought. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. <laughs> what was the fancy apple? I have to know. Oh, just like a Royal Gala. And then what's the le- lo- lesser apple? I don't know. Like a, a Macintosh? Macintosh? Yeah. Yeah, a Macintosh or a Spartan. Those yeah. are horrible. Those oh. Macintosh apples. Well, Brett, I think you and I had a similar experience this weekend in terms of the scale. Like, after you scan it, they only seem to give you about mm, less than a second to get that item in the bag and onto that other scale that seems to keep track of whether or not you've scanned and intend to put that item in a bag, and it starts screaming at you. Please put the item in the bag. Oh, my word. Yeah, well, because what happened with me, I went to the Safeway in Osborne Village, and I was just... Re, I was shuffling the contents of the bag to try to make everything fit properly, and because I hadn't put everything in the bag, it's it's yelling at me to put the item in the bag, as Kelly just demonstrated. And I'm, I, I actually wanted to smash the stupid thing and say, come on, give me a second. I didn't see that. <laughs> I'm working on it. Man arrested for beating up automated system. <laughs> I think you got to be careful, though, because everything's kind of below the waist, all the... All the uh, computer equipment, you never know, they might have one of those automated boxing gloves that might come right out and hit you in a really unfortunate spot. Jerry, uh, you, you, what do you think about this stuff? I, I always choose whichever one has the smallest line. If it's the, if it's the self-checkout, great. If it's the, the cashier, great. But I had a horrible experience at a store that I won't name. I'll just say that uh, when I'm going over the way and I want to be safe it's where I go right right and I went there and I was scanning some stuff and it wouldn't scan it wouldn't scan it wouldn't scan and I was like so I called the lady over say hey this won't scan she looks at it she hits it and she goes it's scanning it's scanning so I okay that one's scanned and then two items later it's not scanning again so I I call her over again I said this isn't scanning she says yes it is and walked away oh so I left all my stuff there 
and left. I went to went to another store and got all the exact same stuff and went to a cashier and had her do it all for me. That is that's frustrating because there are items that simply will not scan. I always end up. I, this always happens for me. I, I got to stop buying this particular brand of eggs because they almost never scan. And this happens often. I, I, go, I go to the superstore and sometimes a woman will come over and say, ah, oh, yep, the eggs. And the, you have to do it just so. There's a Jeez. there's a particularly magical angle you have to hold it at. And I think I figured it out, but it took me a couple of years. But doesn't it? But they scrambled by the time you finish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. maybe, maybe they need like the wand. Do they have a wand scanner at some of these checkouts? Like, like, like it, I think Ikea has one. Yeah, I think that would make it easier. I like how Ikea like tells you that you're being watched and then it's like are you positive you scanned <laughs> oh, and then, and then you say yes and it asks you one more time are you sure there are multiple cameras in it? oh geez. That, boy I don't know that happened to my mom and I we were there and we we thought we got everything but then we missed some dish towels and we were you know having an ice cream after you you check out and then going through bags and like I, I, I don't remember. I don't remember scanning. My mom was just beside herself. We checked out the receipt, and she was so upset. So she went back to the cashier lady and said, "I'm so sorry. I I, I didn't I didn't mean to steal these. I just I just forgot to to check them out." Sure. And, she, and then the woman's like, "You're so such an honest person. Thank you. Thank keep, you keep for not details, walking out with." But these you're things. still banned from IKEA for life. <laughs> <laughs> never ever come back. <laughs> But yeah, what? you can text us at 204-780-6868. Your experience with the self-checkout. Very quickly, Greg, what happened with you at the oh, week, on the weekend? Well, I just, no matter what we did, no matter how we scanned and how quickly we got it in the bag, it kept screaming, wanting it to be in this area. And then, of course, the boys are really trying to be helpful. And I'm like, I'm not in the best mood this weekend after yeah. everything that happened last week. And I'm telling them, you know what, boys, maybe just get out of the, no, 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 we want to help. You're not helping. So for anybody that was in the gen area at the Safeway uh, yesterday, uh, and you witnessed this, uh, my apologies to you. It wasn't my best parenting moment. Wow. Hey, sometimes it's easier to just say, get out of the way, let me do this, and then we can all get out of here in a prompt fashion. Right now you're hearing the award music, the fancy award music that Behind the Glass Jerry. Is that how you label it? Fancy award music? That's exactly how it's labeled. Okay. Yes. Thank That's you very how much. it shows up on my uh, iPhone, too, in, in Apple Music. Fancy, fancy award. award music. Yeah. So I, I, I do like it. And, and the reason why the fancy award music is being played, we just had the Golden Globes a couple of weeks ago. Oscar nominations tomorrow morning. Uh, so surely we'll be talking about that tomorrow oh, morning. Oh, that's tomorrow. Yep, that's right. And they oh, always come boy. out fairly early. Yeah, it's like 5 o'clock in the morning for the folks that live in Hollywood and, yeah. and in California. So always some good stories surrounding how they got the call, what they were doing, and and uh, wiping sleep out of their eyes and inevitably hanging up on something. Yeah, right. Click. Because <laughs> you don't realize what day of the week it is. If you can actually sleep before, if you figure you're in the running, I, I, I want to know which psychologist you're seeing. Because I want a piece of that. Yeah. Right? You think you're in the running for an Oscar and you might get a nomination? And these people go, yeah, I was fast asleep. What do you mean you were fast asleep? You mean you weren't <laughs> up all night waiting for the phone to ring? I, 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 I really respect you a lot. I wonder if that would be the equivalent of a child waiting for Christmas morning. Do you think? Uh, yes. A hundred percent, I think. Uh, anyway. <laughs>
Uh, SAG Awards were last night. What's the what are the SAG Awards? The Screen Actors Guild Awards. They were broadcast in Canada on global television. And Kristen Bell. And I thought I read this wrong. I thought it was a typo. I didn't realize that the SAG Awards had never had a host. When it said Kristen Bell is the first host, I thought maybe they meant first female host. No, nope. which would be bad. What's that? If, would which would be. Bad. Like if it was a typo, yeah. Just or, the first. Or, or the fact that she had, in fact, been the first female host of an awards ceremony like this. But no, typically they don't have an actual MC or host for this. That's right. It's a two hour. It's a shorter ceremony. It's only two hours. So they just they like to spend as much time honoring the the winners as opposed to having a host come in and do banter. I guess they just have presenters come out. So this is about 25 seconds of Kristen Bell as she helped to open the show. When I was young, I used to record Disney movies on my cassette player. I would sing every lyric in the Disney canon, knowing and believing that one day I would be a part of that magic. I am Kristen Bell, and I am a narcissist. (laughs) Sorry, I am an actor. And tonight... I'm also your host. <laughs> I adore her. Yeah. I really do. Uh, she's married to Dax Shepard, right? Yep. Who is kind of unconventional and has become somehow a very popular actor in Hollywood just by being himself. Yeah. I don't think he really acts. He just kind of just comes on and is Dax Shepard. And I would say these awards, this is the one I would want to win because it's voted on by the actors themselves. Uh, being honored by your peers, that's that would be the most valuable award in my mind. Yeah, they, it is uh, the the peers. They're they're being voted upon by the other their fellow actors. One such actor, Nicole Kidman, once again cashing in for her performance in the HBO series Big Little Lies. I want to thank you all for your trailblazing performances you've given over your career, and how wonderful it is that our careers today can go beyond 40 years old. Because (laughs) 20 years ago, we were pretty washed up by this stage in our lives. So that's not the case now. She makes a great point there too. Typically there was this unfortunate shelf life for female actors where if they got to, as she pointed out, 40 years old, you might not see them again until they're they were beyond 60, right? There is this like this kind of no-fly zone. From 40 till till 59. Yeah. And then you could be the older woman. But now with changing demographics and, you know, younger mothers, younger grandmothers, uh, they can play these different parts and tell different stories and, uh, and age so gracefully at the very same time. And once again, I mean, it's... I'm getting another reminder that I really need to watch this Big Little Lies show. So if you're you're a, I, I am a subscriber to HBO, so I can watch it on demand. I just tried to check my app, my Shaw On Demand app, and it's telling me to sign in. So we'll just wait until later. It does that from time to time. Yeah, you know what? Uh, I'm writing it down as well because uh, you're exactly right. I was thinking exactly the same thing, that this is clearly a program 
that we should be checking out. And it's only, it's a limited series. It's seven episodes. So it's not a huge time commitment. And, and Reese Witherspoon. That's right. Reese Witherspoon, Laura Dern, Shailene Woodley. It's a wonderful cast in that show. Three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Once again, the big winner on the film side. It won Best Actress for Frances McDormand, Supporting Actor Trophy for Sam Rockwell, and the award for Outstanding Performance by a Cast in a Motion Picture, which is essentially the SAG Awards equivalent of Best Picture. So repeating in all counts as far as what happened at the Golden Globe. So you have to imagine that this is now maybe the Oscar front runner in terms of uh, maybe even Best Picture in general. Still playing, by the way, in Winnipeg if you want to go see Three Billboards because it came to Winnipeg in November, I believe, and then disappeared and now it's back. It just doesn't seem like a typical kind of movie that you would see nominated for and win Best Picture. Maybe yeah. you can correct me on that, but it just doesn't seem to have that epic sort of feel around it. It's just a kind of a, a niche story, a kind of a quirky tale. Uh, as, is, is this based on a true story or not? No. No. So, so so total fiction, right? So there's no homage being paid to some woman who, who did something extraordinary for her, her child. It, it's a work of fiction. It just doesn't feel like the typical motion picture of the year in my mind. Well, you do often get these, what's, I think, I don't know if this has always been the case, but in, in recent years, probably the last decade or so, there was always that big movie and then there would be, there would also always be that, the little movie that could. I remember, do you remember a film called Little Miss Sunshine? That's exactly the movie I was thinking of. Okay. Did it win Best Picture? No, but it was nominated. And there typically is at least one quirky nominee. And this year you could see a second one with Lady Bird as well. That's a huge uh, front runner, at least in terms of some of the acting roles and I or acting awards and writing awards. And I think it'll probably be nominated for Best Picture as well. I'm putting myself back in a running to be an honorary couch potato because that Little Miss Sunshine was exactly the <laughs> film I was comparing this to in my mind. So. Uh, yeah, but for it to win, I think would be odd. An odd picture like this to win, I think, would be strange. Well, and uh, you got to wonder too, because this, the Shape of Water even is the yes. one that they were talking about being the front runner. But yes. that's not that's not a, a big epic movie either. Yeah, you know, you make you make good points. So There's it's a an interesting why year. Do a show like this, and uh, if you were to go with a, the, the quote unquote big epic movie, you might go with a film like Dunkirk. But I don't think that has quite the power to win best picture all around. And I'll just quickly say, as far as the outstanding uh, performance by an ensemble in a drama series for TV, The Crown, the Netflix show, and then for comedy, it was, uh, oh, pardon me, was it the, was The Crown the winner? No, it was, pardon me, This Is Us was the winner. I'm just looking at the nominees. And then for comedy, it was Veep. And then, yeah, so that makes sense. I really need to watch Veep as well. The Blue Bombers had several priorities going into the offseason. I'm not sure that too many of them were higher on the list than getting themselves a serviceable slash veteran CFL quarterback. The Blue Bombers took care of that this weekend. Bob Irving joins us now. Mackling and McGarry and Bob, a name that uh, used to be associated with uh, our arch nemesis or Blue Bombers arch nemesis. Pardon the hour reference there, Bob. Yeah, who could have imagined a couple of years ago that Darian Durant and Weston Dressler would be teaming up with the Blue Bombers after all the great years they had with the Saskatchewan Roughriders, Greg. It's interesting the way the, the wheel has turned in that regard, but 
On Saturday night, the Bombers announced that Darian Durant had accepted their offer of a contract, and he will be Matt Nichols' backup. And all you have to do is uh, remember back to last season when Matt Nichols went down with injury and how the Bombers struggled at the quarterback position with Dom Davis and Dan Lefevre to understand how significant a move this is. And I'm assuming that Darian Durant still has some good football left in him, and I believe that. I don't doubt that for a minute. So I think this is a fantastic move because now if anything happens to Matt Nichols, they can turn to a quarterback who's a proven commodity. He had a rough year in Montreal as the starter. Any concerns there, Bob? Was this a a situational thing or the Montreal Alouettes just plain and simply a bad football team? Or did Darian Durant have a lot to do with them being a bad football team? Well, I would say this, Greg. It was a mess in Montreal last year. And uh, I think Darian Durant was a product of the issues that went on in Montreal with coaches and personnel and everything else. And I think he lost his confidence at a certain point. He was only too happy to get out of there. Yesterday when he spoke to the media, he just repeated over and over and over again how excited he is about going to a comfortable situation, a stable situation, you know, where there's a good atmosphere, a good environment. So I think uh, the issues in Montreal were largely, with him, were, were largely a product of the environment. Hey, Bob, uh, as far as the the CFL quarterback carousel is concerned, I mean, this does seem to be kind of an annual thing. Uh, And I I suppose, is is that just because there are so few teams, or is this like an annual rite of passage for the league? Well, there's going to be a lot of player movement, uh, Brett, every year in the league, the way the the situation is set up now with the contracts. A lot of players sign one-year contracts, and so there's... 20 or 25 free agents every year from every team. And it's not just the quarterback position, but certainly that's the one we highlight. There will be player movement every year going forward now in the Canadian Football League because the salary cap goes up a little bit every year. And, of course, the players are all looking for a little more money. So uh, when February 13th rolls around, you will have a long, long list, uh, I think, annually of players who are free agents uh, looking to improve their lot. So I think this is just something we're going to see on an ongoing basis with the quarterbacks when you've got a good one you want to nail them down for a long term we saw the Calaris trade I think that was a little bit unusual this year in the circumstances surrounding that uh, but you're right uh, Franklin goes to Toronto and so I think we've seen a little more movement there than we normally knew it would but free agency will create movement every year. Kyle Walters and the Blue Bombers done an outstanding job of keeping their players in particular on the offensive side of the ball. And we had Kyle Walters on breakfast with the Bombers uh, just, uh, I guess, about two weeks ago, Bob. And I asked him, are you going to focus on the defensive side now? And he says, yeah, I guess it kind of looks as though that's the way it sorted itself out. Now with Durant signed, the Bombers re-signed Chris Randall last week, one of their key cogs in the defense. I'm, you know, as a fan, I'm concerned uh, about the fact that TJ Keith, Kevin Fong, and Maurice Leggett have not been re-signed at this point. Well, they still have uh, just over two weeks before free agency, Greg, and I understand what you're saying. I think a lot of the fans feel the same way you do. Uh, I believe Mo Leggett will get re-signed. He's an important guy, and I just don't think the Bombers are going to let him get away. T.J. Heath is important as well. But it comes down to what Kyle said. I heard that interview that you did with him. You know, they all want a lot of money, especially when they've had good years. And the Bombers just can't, and no team in the league can afford to pay more than goes above the salary cap. So some of these guys, Jamal Westerman's another key player from 
last year, and you wonder what's going to happen with him. Um, they just can't afford to pay and keep them all. Travis Bond on the offensive line, you know, it's just a matter of uh, economics. And I don't know how this is all going to shake down. Like I say, I think Leggett's a priority to bring back. After that, uh, Heath, certainly they'd like to have T.J. Heath come back. But uh, if he wants more money than they can afford to pay or feel he's, they're justified in paying him, uh, he may be leaving. So the next couple of weeks are going to be really interesting in that regard. Bomber winter special tonight at 7 o'clock. Bob, what can we expect? Well, Mike O'Shea is going to be in studio to start things off. Uh, Andrew Harris, Matt Nichols, Darian Durant will join me in the second half hour. Kyle Walters at 8.05. Wade Miller is going to drop by. And in the last half hour, Ed Tate and Doug Brown will join me for a little hot stove. We'll kick things around with the Bombers and Johnny Manziel and the rest of the CFL. All right. Thank you very much. Bob Irving on 680CJOB. One, two, three. Three things with Shanley Vidal. Three things that you may have missed over the weekend. Good morning to you, Shanley Vidal. Good morning, Brett. Good morning, Greg. Good morning, Shanley. Good to have you back, Greg. Merci beaucoup. So, are you ready for a couple of things you may have missed? Let her rip. Well, <laughs> don't, don't say that, Brett. Why? Yeah, why? How about let her buck? Sure, okay. <laughs> Give her. Uh, okay, so the first one. What's the first one? <laughs> an article popped up on globalnews.ca over the weekend, and it's getting a lot of interest. It's about a proposal by a nonprofit organization called Kanzuk International, and Kanzuk is advocating freedom of movement between Canada, Australia, New Zealand, and the United Kingdom, and they're asking people to show their interest by signing a petition. So... Basically, what Kansik wants to do, they want to make it so that you wouldn't have to apply for things like visas or work permits if you want to spend an extended amount of time in the UK, Australia, or New Zealand. And actually, Conservative leader Andrew Shearer has thrown his support behind the idea as well. And the organization says it's hoping to get 250,000 signatures on their petition this year. Then they're going to submit it to all four countries. And we have reached out to the folks at Kanzuk to tell us more about this. And hopefully they will be able to join us later this morning. It's uh, at 2.45 London time, 8.45 Winnipeg time. Well, you know what? I got to tell you, I was a victim of this uh, lack of ability to go back and forth between Canada and Australia in particular. There's restrictions on work visas. You can only work up until the time you're 26. And I had secured a job at a ski resort in Australia, was filling out the paperwork when I realized I was going to turn 26 while I was in Australia. Thus, I could not pursue the job and uh, here we are in 2018 and I've still not been down under. Oh my, I'm just, I'm still amazed that they have ski resorts in Australia. Yeah, well, Southern Hemisphere, you know, they have winter when we have summer and vice versa and uh, the the Aussies love to ski and they love to come up and uh, there'll be lifties, ski instructors up here. So there are uh, some reciprocal agreements between a lot of the uh, ski resorts so that you can work year round, whether you're Canadian or Australian. But I was just too old. The story of my life now. (laughs) And and speaking of Aussies, uh, who's my favorite, I guess, uh, ex-Aussie? And now Canadian is Drex. Drex. From The Shift with Drex. It, it premiered uh, this morning, and I really enjoyed listening to it as I woke up at 2.30 in the morning and get ready for work. There you go, midnight to five. Yeah. And then uh, Kyle Milroy, five till six. What's brewing? I enjoyed that one, too, and I'm going to give uh, big props to Kyle when he walks in. Fantastic. 
So you ready for number two? Yes. So back in August, we told our listeners about this story about a Yazidi boy. Yazidi boy. He was freed after being a captive of ISIS for three years. Uh, the boy's mother had been living here in Winnipeg as a refugee. She had no idea if her son was alive until refugees saw him in a photo on social media. 13-year-old Ahmad Misko Tamo, he was united with his family in the city last year. And now he's thanking Canada in a video posted on Facebook by the Yazidi Association of Manitoba. And he also, in the video, I don't know if either of you have seen it. I've seen it. It's a, it's a great video. Have you seen it, Brett? I have not. Definitely, it's, it's a great video. The, the, the boy, he looks great. Compared to like you know you saw the earlier pictures and he and you see him there with his siblings and it's a very nice little video. So he holds up a sign asking to be a voice for other Yazidi children still in captivity, and he asked Prime Minister Justin Trudeau to meet with him. Interesting. Yeah, interesting. And uh, Haji Hesso, I know uh, we talked to him a couple of months ago when mm-hmm. this was going on. He's with the Yazidi Association. He says Imad is now in school here in Winnipeg and he's learning English. Good for him. But he does say that Imad's father, as well as one of his brothers does remain unaccounted for. Oh, that's got to be so traumatizing. Mm-hmm. You're getting along and, and getting along fine in your new life and you've got family members that are unaccounted for. What's the third thing? So this last one is currently the top story in globalnews.ca. We have, and I actually heard Drex talking about it this morning. That's how I got my attention. A North Carolina man who made headlines when he was caught for break-ins after winning a donut eating contest has been arrested again. (laughs) And this time he's accused of stealing from a donut shop. Oh, man. The Virginian Pilot newspaper reports 27-year-old Bradley Hardison of Elizabeth City was charged Thursday with stealing from a Dunkin' Donuts in November. An Elizabeth City Police Department state statement says he's charged with felonies, including breaking and entering and larceny. And it wasn't clear if he helped himself to any donuts. Okay, what's what's the connection? <laughs> yeah. Like he was in some sort of donut eating competition yes, or yes. earlier? Well, the, the that newspaper reported that in 2014, Hardison won a donut eating co- contest put on by Elizabeth City Police. Oh, yeah. Well, he was wanted on suspicion of several <laughs> break-ins. Interesting. So investigators say they... they, they <laughs> They arrested him after his win, prompted further scrutiny, and then he was convicted. So, you know, they see him in the donut contest, and they're like, huh, okay, that's kind of familiar. Very brazen. That's very cheeky. Yeah, very cheeky. Yeah, I'm uh, robbing donut shops. The cops are putting on this contest. I think I'll enter. He must really Mm -hmm. like donuts. Like, what's in those donuts? Yeah, same thing that are in the dog biscuits that your dog can't wait for you to leave your house in the morning so that they can get one. Or the, but cat, the cat treats. Yeah, that, that's another conversation. Thank you, Shanalee. <laughs> Shanalee Vidal, three things. Shanalee heard every day on the 680 CJOB Morning Show just after the 8 o'clock news. There are a lot of people in this city who got speeding tickets over the holidays. And we're talking about Tickets that were issued during school zones, 30 kilometer per hour school zones, which, of course, don't take holidays, even though the students are away. Mm -hmm. And just looking at these statistics here, 377 tickets were handed out on Christmas Day, which was a Monday. So therefore, even though it's a holiday and there's pretty much no one out and about on Christmas Day, and especially that day was so cold. They had t- 377 tickets were issued. Boxing Day, 555 tickets issued. And then another 300 on uh, December the 27th, 218 on the 28th, and then 226 on the 29th. Why such a dramatic difference between Boxing Day and the 28th? 
between Boxing Day and the 29th? Um, I would, I would... Re- I'd like to know how many vehicles, how many of the uh, automated ticketing vehicles were out on those days. Did they go heavy? Did they have every piece of equipment out on Christmas Day? Were there fewer vehicles out taking pictures on the 27th or 28th? I'd like to know why such a dramatic difference on those days, because this feels very predatory to a lot of people. So you think that they were targeting people, that they were, they were, they knew that they could cash in, so they, the, the cars were sent out? I'm wondering if they were. I'm wondering aloud. Yeah, that's probably likely, given that they're, they're, I mean, Boxing Day, there's always that clamor, right? You take a couple of days off, stores are closed for a couple of, not even a couple of full days, but everybody wants to get out for those sales. So there's a lot of early morning traffic on Boxing Day and tons of traffic all throughout the day. Uh, because when you look at the stats for the following week, New Year's Day, which was, once again, that was a Monday, 246 tickets issued, and it's a lot more consistent across the line here. January 2nd, 205. January 3rd, 224. January 4th, 218, and, which is actually the Thursday. Thursday, December 28th, 218 tickets, mm-hmm. and then Thursday, January 4th, 218 tickets, and then January 5th, 210 tickets. And... Um, Again, the kids didn't go back until the 8th, right? January Generally? 8th. Yep. Okay. Yep. So a lot of tickets handed out over the holidays, even though the kids weren't. And listen, I get it. The bylaw is in, is in play all the way from September until June. Doesn't matter if what day, if it's a holiday or not. But I, we could, you know, we could talk about this every time the story comes up. It's always going to be the same gripes. I'm, I don't like that they, that they, they send the teams out on holidays. Nope, I don't like it either. And I got to tell you this, I saw a terrific tweet from someone yesterday uh, that suggested that, okay, if this, if this is really about safety, and I'm going, to give, I'm going to give Winnipeg Police Service and the government a little bit of credit and say, yep, they're concerned about safety, then the pledge should be that every dollar that comes from these fines in school zones should go to creating more traffic calming measures. There are crosswalks, raised crosswalks that are implemented around the world that seem to have a tremendous effect in slowing and calming traffic down. Better signage, better uh, attention to painting lines and all the other things that are completely lacking in terms of traffic control in our city. If this is about safety, pledge Every dollar that comes from these programs to improving safety, improving uh, visibility for students in these school zones. And then you know what? For someone like me who has kids, I'm totally in favor of the 30 kilometer an hour speed limit around a school. Uh, But you know what? I do not like when they're out in a predatory fashion like this, you didn't need to be out on Christmas Day. You didn't need to be out on Boxing Day. You're out there for one reason only. This is not in the name of safety. This is in the name of generating revenue. And I say to a certain extent, shame on you. Also, if you feel yucky when you open your mail and you find that you have a speeding ticket that you earned yourself, <laughs> that you, your hard-earned work pays off in the form of a speeding ticket that you have to turn your money back over to the government. Uh, we were talking earlier about the Tide Pod Challenge and how poison control calls have spiked 
in the United States due to the Tide Pod Challenge, which if you're not familiar with, young people taking to YouTube and they are filming themselves biting into the Tide Pods, which, you know, I mean, hey, I can understand that little kids mistaking this stuff for something yummy to eat. It looks like candy, but teenagers who know better, younger or younger adults who know better, no. Um, and yeah, the these have spiked and we got lots of calls. You brought up Mr. Yuck, Greg, and we're also getting text messages. Uh, a couple of people texted saying, don't you put it in your mouth commercial. Yeah, it was a song. I don't remember that one. Don't you put it in your mouth. Don't you put it in your mouth. Don't you stuff it in your face. Don't stuff it in your face. Though it might look good to eat. Though it might look good to eat. And it might look good to taste. And it might look good to taste. You could get sick. Yuck. Real quick. Yuck. Real sick. Real ick. Here's a common thread. In several text messages that we've received, Mm -hmm. the Tide Pod Challenge is simply removing people that should have been a stain (laughs) in the first place. Okay. And uh, yes, there was another one here who says, fools out there eating Tide Pods, and they don't even realize their breaker box. So they've sent us a picture here. It's a meme. And they don't even realize their breaker box is filled with black and red licorice. So they're suggesting that they can go down to their breaker box and try all the tasty licorice sticking out, which of course is not licorice, it's wires. It's not licorice. We're not promoting this. We're just suggesting that there are those who are talking about this, just giving you the 411, as it were. I didn't know there was cotton candy behind that that drywall in my house. (laughs) We're getting a lot of text messages from people. We already talked about the they didn't don't know there's licorice in their breaker box. Well now it's don't these fools know all these fools eating Tide Pods, don't they realize their walls are made of cotton candy? And it's funny because Darren texted us a picture of that with somebody adding the pink insulation into the, the wall. And then not one minute later we get a text from Jacob T who says don't the kids that eat the Tide Pods know the walls are full of cotton candy insulation? <laughs> you're gonna go. You're gonna go home from work today, and all the drywall is gonna be down in your house, <laughs> and all the all the pink insulation is gonna be consumed, right? Yeah. Ay, ay, ay. I don't know, man. Common sense, right? And this whole idea of putting these things in your mouth, and, and, and I don't know. We were going to talk about one thing, but Brett, we just got a text message here. Good morning. In regards to the school zone tickets, when are people going to start obeying speed limit signs? That's all it comes down to. If you don't want a ticket, obey the sign. Simple as that. And I I get that. I really do. I, I understand. But I just don't understand this whole idea of having to be so predatory about handing out tickets. I, I see the police... Uh, uh, commenting on this, and we're trying to get them on to our radio station as well, saying, well, you know, maybe people will be encouraged to speed uh, if, if we're not out enforcing this. Y- you know what? I'm slowing down anywhere, anyway. Mm. But I-, I was going through a school zone the other day. I knew I was in a school zone, and you're doing the balancing act, right? Because you're looking, you're watching the road, you're watching your speed, you're watching the road, and you look down, you go, oh, I'm 37. You know, the, the amount of motion in your right foot to go from 30 to 37 is so 
infinitesimal. It's so tiny. Yep. And so you catch yourself. So even people who are mindful are getting caught in these what feel like traps. And I've also said this, you know, on school days, if you don't like slowing down for the school zone, alter your route to work if you can do it. Oh, I go through six school zones. Mm. Part of that is because you're not really using commuter routes and the, you're not using the proper roads that you should be. You're f- trying to find a shortcut. You should be penalized and you should be slowing down. In my opinion, if, if you're going through more than one school zone on your way to work, you're probably taking a route you shouldn't be taking. There is actually, and I, I've gone through this because sometimes I'll go up Academy, typically uh, nine, like 99% of the time, all the way up Academy. But I used to go up Grosvenor to Lanark, I think is the street. And that also doesn't have any school zones. But if for whatever reason I find myself going up Kingsway, mm-hmm. there are at least two school zones on Kingsway. There's one point where you come out of a school zone and you go a half a block and then you go into another school zone. And then if you hang a right on, I think it might be Queenston. I can't remember the street. One, it doesn't matter. The point is that you can get as many as three to four school zones if you go through the neighborhood. You're meandering through the neighborhood, yeah. right? Trying to avoid the major traffic, yep. which is a huge issue right now. We were also talking about this. We would like your feedback. Does it feel as though we have an unusual number of construction zones? I know we have water main breaks, but does it feel as though as... Crazy as a summer as it was for construction, and I, for one, think it's awesome, putting our money to work, fixing roads. You can't have it both ways. You can't have a demand for better infrastructure and then have no construction season to correlate with that. Uh, I think we try to have it both ways in Winnipeg. We want our roads fixed, but don't you dare close them down while you're fixing them. But we're seeing a lot of traffic delays uh, the last few weeks in particular on major routes. And is this seem as though it's out of the ordinary for you? I, I'm not seeing it. Uh, so I don't, but that's also maybe because my, my drive to work, well, Changed. for one, yeah, <laughs> my drive to work at 4 a.m. is easy. doesn't matter which way I go. Yeah. And even when I leave, it's 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock. So it's not ever during peak rush times and my drive home is short the only other time so it takes me 10 minutes to get to work and then on Sundays it takes me 20 minutes to get to my parents house in Transcona so my drive I have not seen this construction so what about you your drive in is a bit longer than mine. Yeah, but I'm not I'm not seeing it. Like, I take basically three major routes, Chief Pegwas Trail, Henderson Highway, and then Portage Avenue. Okay. And so there is, I think, a barricade on Portage Ave, uh, if I'm not mistaken. There was a water main break on Henderson Highway at Linden, and that was causing problems. But once again, those pop up. But in terms of these long-term closures, I know we're having issues. We're trying to sort it out. St. Mary's Road seems to have been slow for weeks now, northbound on the inbound uh, drive. Uh, situation turning from Main Street onto St. Mary Avenue. There's a long ster- long-term construction project there as well. So we're reaching out to the city to find out if it's unusual to have these number of projects in the winter. But we want to know from you, uh, are you feeling as though the drive is feeling rather summer-like 
in terms of construction delays. 204-780-6868. Shoot us a text or on email, gmac at cgob.com or brett at cgob.com. And I just want to quickly respond to a text here in the final 30 seconds we have before the top of the hour. Someone saying regarding the school zones, mm-hmm. the setting up photo radar on holidays. They're saying it's not a trap. That's like saying to run a red light because there are no cars. I got to say two completely different things. The red light, if you run a red light, it doesn't matter what time of day. It doesn't matter what day of the week you are putting yourself and other people in jeopardy. I don't think there's too many people would argue with that yeah. knowledge and that, uh, that piece of wisdom, Brett. 2,800 or so. Traffic violations of a photo radar nature have been handed out over the holidays to citizens of our fine city, uh, making their way through school zones faster than the posted 30 kilometer an hour speed limit. And I think that's where I want to start with our next guest, uh, chairman of Center Ventures Board and architect number 10 uh, architecture, Brent Bellamy, joins us now. Uh, first of all, Brent, uh, first time speaking to you in 2018, so it's a little late, but happy new year to you, my friend. Yes, to you too. Uh, the city has been uh, raking in money on these uh, tickets in school zones. And, and I'm starting to come around on the idea that if ambiguity is the enemy of people obeying these uh, signs and the, the city saying, well, you know, we don't want people to get used to speeding again at Christmas time or encouraging yeah. people to go faster, then it should be 365 days a year uh, or 365 days a year and 24 hours a day. If, if that's the genuine argument and if it's about a safety thing, what about the post that I'm sure you saw it on Twitter last night, if you didn't, a commitment to spend the money generated from these things on other initiatives that we know slow people down, uh, traffic calming initiatives in and around school zones. Yeah, I heard you say that earlier this morning, and I completely agree with you. We've all had the experience of driving on a road that feels like you should be driving faster. And it's no matter what the posted sign is, people drive to the environment, the physical environment that they're around. And so we need to build the physical environment to slow people down. It doesn't work to just put a street sign up and hope people see it and obey it because they won't. The way you calm traffic and slow traffic is to change the physical environment. And you were saying like the raised crosswalks, you, you raise a crosswalk up four inches and it makes people understand that they need to slow down where, where kids are crossing. And it's, you don't have to have police sitting there you know, every single morning watching people speed in the, in the school zones. They, people will understand from their physical environments. And I agree with you completely. If we spend our money on that instead of um, policing it, it will be much more effective and much safer, which is, I can't imagine anybody arguing that they don't think school zones should be as safe as possible for the kids in our city. All right, so let's move on from that and talk about progress of another sort. Uh, Amazon shortlisted the applicant cities to 20 last week, Toronto making the list uh, as well as 19 American cities. A lot of people, you know, when Winnipeg said that they were throwing their hat in the ring, scoffed at the idea, including myself, who as big a fan of Winnipeg as I am, looked at the list of qualifications and said, hold on, man, we don't even meet the basic criteria, but... We can learn from this experience and the criteria that was put out by Amazon. Fair to say, Brent? Yeah, exactly. We shouldn't be too sad because, as you say, we didn't even meet the very basic criteria of population, uh, connectivity to other cities across the continent. They, they wanted direct flights to California. We didn't have any of that. But I understand why we did it. You really couldn't not. If 250 cities across North America 
are doing it. We kind of had to, but we can learn from it. It was really a great window into what businesses are looking for. And we're not going to land a company that's going to bring 50,000 jobs. That's completely unrealistic. But we can bring other companies to our city that are looking to relocate and use this as an example of what they're looking for. It was really a clear document that shows what progressive, modern, specifically tech companies are looking for when they're looking to relocate to a city. You know, they're looking for um, quality of life things. They're not just looking for tax breaks. They can get tax breaks anywhere. And Toronto was a great example. They didn't even offer tax breaks. But what got them on the list was the quality of life that they that's offered there. You know, in Winnipeg, we've for so long pushed one type of quality of life, one lifestyle option, and it's really the car-driven suburban lifestyle. We have very little urban quality, which attracts young people. And business goes where young people go. Amazon had in their, in their um, requirements bike lanes. They mentioned it three times. It was the only thing they mentioned three times which is quite amazing. Like most people think bike lanes are just sort of a a hippie liberal uh, dream thing that nobody would ever use. Why would you ride your bike in Winnipeg? It's winter nine months a year and it's minus 50, 350 days a year. Why would anybody use bike lanes? But we're seeing clearly Amazon, one of the largest companies in the world, is requiring cities with bike lanes to be part of their selection criteria. So it's no longer a hippie thing. It's It's a business thing. And transit was another one. Every single city has good transit that they're looking at. Um, They mentioned connectivity. They wanted rapid transit. They wanted streetcars and buses and all kinds of really um, connected uh, public transit systems. And that's something that we can look at and, and build in the future to maybe not attract Amazon, but to attract other companies that are looking to relocate. No, Brent, there's something that uh, you wrote in connection with this in uh, a blog post recently. City can learn from Amazon search. I guess that was back in November that you posted this. And you point to a, a study in 2014 by Higher Education Strategy Associates, yeah. which shows that um, when it comes to Manitoba graduates, we rank second in willingness to consider relocating to a different province. So uh, this is this, a lot of these things you're talking about, I guess, go a little bit beyond whether or not Amazon would ever come here. You know, business follows the talent. And that's what Amazon is looking for. And that's what other companies are looking for. And that study that I actually posted it yesterday on Twitter as well, was really fascinating. It was a, it was a survey of recent graduates and their willingness to live in different places. And that, that one study that, I, that you referenced there showed Manitoba students, they were the second most willing to leave the province. And it, the chart also showed that we were the lowest, the least desirable province for other um, students in other provinces to move to. We were actually tied with Saskatchewan. Um, so, <laughs> so that shows if students aren't willing to relocate to Winnipeg, why would business relocate to Winnipeg? You know, it's not, just, it's not just about maintaining or retaining our students. We want to bring recent grads from other provinces as well. So we need to build a city that they're attracted to. You know, students, when they graduate, they're not looking to move to suburban Edmonton. They're looking to have a really dynamic lifestyle in downtown Toronto and Vancouver, and they want to have great transit. That, that study showed that transit was the second most important thing. Good jobs was the first most important thing for them. Transit was number two as far as what they're looking for when they move to a different city. So we need to begin to step outside of our comfort zone and build 
the things that maybe aren't priorities for most of us. We're happy living in our suburban um, home and, and going to the big box center, but a lot of people across the continent now are looking for more urban experiences, lifestyles that in denser neighborhoods where they can walk on the sidewalk and go shopping in small shops. Pardon me. Small shops instead of the big box stores. You know they're looking for that experience, and the cities that that provide that are going to be the winners in the future. Well, I've been going to Vancouver uh, on a regular basis since 1986. Cannot believe how it's changed in that 30 years plus in and around False Creek, where they hosted Expo '86. To imagine yeah. they had all that essentially wasted land that was industrial was halfway in between use and not use that they could actually put on a world's fair on what is now some of the most expensive and valuable real estate in North America is mind-boggling in 30 years when you see how Toronto has changed. And Montreal, where they have a huge downtown, Winnipeg has a huge downtown as well, very spread out. Well, now they're starting to capitalize on the idea of people living in downtown Montreal and they're booming. There's no reason to believe that Winnipeg isn't going to follow suit. Is there, Brent? Not at all. It's just an attitude change. And it's not just about living downtown. It's about making our existing neighborhoods more livable. Like Academy Road is a great example. Every time there's a development proposed for Academy Road, there's vehement opposition. Everybody freaks out and picket signs go up. But neighborhoods like River Heights, Crescentwood, Osborne Village, St. Boniface, Elmwood, they can be higher density. They can be more vibrant. We can bring this type of of sort of urban living to the existing mature neighborhoods in our city. It's not just about downtown. I mean, it is about downtown as well, but we need to look even broader and start re-densifying our um, mature neighborhoods, which have lost a lot of density over the last 30 years. Chairman of Centre Ventures Board, Brent Bellamy, is on the line with us. He's also an architect at Number 10 Architecture Group, and uh, Brent... Your article today, your opinion piece in the Winnipeg Free Press, kind of ties a whole bunch of conversations together for us. And the idea of streetcars and the idea of reviving those uh, amazing relics of the past that did such a fantastic job in moving Winnipegers uh, through the 30s, 40s, 50s, and uh, and into the early 60s. Yeah, it's a uh, something I've been thinking about a lot lately. Uh, cities across North America are starting to bring back the streetcar. And Winnipeg was built on the streetcar. The the reason the Winnipeg looks the way it is is because of streetcars. You know, with the big sort of streets all leading to Portage and Maine essentially. That was because it was convenient for streetcars. And um you know, I've been a proponent of rapid transit for a long time for two reasons. I think it's able to change people's habits. People that wouldn't typically use the bus might use rapid transit. And it's also a great development tool. Because people want to live near the stations, cities can use them to, to sort of target development. You can create higher density development in an, an existing neighborhood by placing a rapid transit stop there. But I started to think about how expensive these uh, transit systems are. It's you know a billion dollars to run out a line to um, the university. And what it really is doing is just changing the people who will take the bus maybe once a day, you know, shuttling them from the suburbs back or to downtown and back. And is that the best use of our dollars? Could we instead move public transit, concentrate our public transit where people will typically use it more, which is on these old streetcar routes, and bring back the streetcars, which are considerably less expensive than rapid transit, and focus it on those streets, like run a line down 
Portage Avenue to Polo Park, like sort of shorter routes than the than the rapid transit lines that run all the way out to, you know, Waverly West and Transcona and those things, and then have sort of a star of of streetcars that then at the end of that, then we can have different systems to move people from there out to the to the further suburbs. I think it would it would sort of create a, a quality of life change in the inner city and help sort of make transit a little bit more um, viable. And and we cities are understanding that streetcars, because they're sort of this permanent infrastructure, it's rails in the ground. They also have this same effect of becoming a development tool. Um, people want to live. And they're they're quite sexy these these new streetcars. They're not your grandpa's streetcars. They're pretty sexy things that people want to be on and want to want to live near and have offices near. So we can use them also as a development tool to bring higher density to these sort of high streets like Academy Road, like I was saying earlier, Sherbrooke, uh, Provence Boulevard. Imagine running a streetcar down the middle of Provence Boulevard again to to Archibald, or you know running down Broadway or running down Main Street to Kilonan Park. Um, we could shuttle people in high volumes, make transit more efficient, and also begin to intensify those um, those mature neighborhoods and bring density to those, to those mature neighborhoods that we were talking about, you know, in the last segment. So, Brent, is the suggestion then to to eliminate transit uh, just for you know, on those stretches of road, and then focus the transit resources or refocus the transit resources that already exist to uh, routes outside of that? kind of radius? Well, I think, I mean, my thought is that we could, instead of investing in the big rapid transit systems, we have one line now going out to university, which is great, and the stadium, which is sort of needed. But instead of these other big, huge systems, concentrating it in the more mature neighborhoods and running them out to sort of the end of the old streetcar city, and then from there, use things like car sharing and Uber and maybe even a private shuttle bus system that brings people there out to the out to Waverly West and Sage Creek and those areas, which is more efficient for them because riding, you know, the bus goes out to Sage Creek now once every hour or whatever it is, and it's quite inconvenient. Why would you want to ride a bus there? So look at different ways of getting people to the to the ends of the lines and then in, concentrate the public transit on sort of the, the neighborhoods that will use it more. It's not eliminating buses, but it's introducing a second tier of transit that I think people might use more. Somebody who would never use a bus might get on a, on a streetcar because the ride is much more comfortable. It's very, it's, it can be more often. It sort of feels better to ride a, a streetcar. So I, it introduces, it, uh, it creates sort of a modal shift. It, it makes people who might not use it, use it. Brent, uh, of course, we run out of time uh, talking to you always. We appreciate this, as always, in the work you do on behalf of the city. Appreciate it, brother. Thanks very much. Anytime. All right. Brent Bellamy is chairman of Center Ventures Board and the creative director at Number 10 Architectural Group. Thanks to Behind the Glass Jerry, Shanley Vidal. I'm Brent McGarry. He's Greg Mackling. Thank you for listening to 680 CJOB. Center.